But Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that your grace is sufficient and that your arm is never too short to save. And Lord, that sometimes older ways are better ways. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> okay, that was a good, that, that's the loudest amen I've ever gotten at an Episcopal church. Okay. Okay. Uh, the uh, subtitle for the song, for the song, for the uh, for the class, uh, "Send Lawyers Guns and Money," has absolutely nothing, but I figured it would get some people here. Um, it's, a, it's a really good song, and it's been in my head for a while, much to Lauren's chagrin. Uh, I'll play it. It's not a good song to play when you have kids around, but it's it's still. If you haven't ever heard uh, Warren Zevon sing it, or um, Jimmy Buffett did a cover, as did um, Hank Williams Jr., so it's it's worth listening to. So so, but this morning we're going to talk about Christian stewardship. And this is one of the most uh, touchy subjects in the church. I have a family member who is very antagonistic toward the church, and she went, decided, you know, why don't we give it a shot? Church seems to do have a positive effect on people around me, so I'll give it a shot. And she went, and unfortunately she went in October, which is stewardship season. And so the sermon was about <coughs> stewardship. And when she came home, I asked, well, what did you think? She said, well, like I expected, they only talked about money. And she said, and as a matter of fact, I put $20 in the collection plate, and I think that that's pretty good. I said, now, uh, and knowing the business that I'm in, I said, now tell me, why do you think that that's, that's good? She said, well, the preacher was only up there for an hour, and $20 an hour is pretty good. <laughs> well... Clearly, she had uh, a misunderstanding on multiple levels uh, about what giving meant, uh, and she sort of fell into the trap that a lot of us fall into about what stewardship is about, that it's about to pay the bills, that it seems a little bit like a tax, uh, that it seems like an obligation, and sure enough, when the plate goes by, I won't tell you the story that I've told before, but when the plate goes by, if you're one of those direct deposit people like we are, um, it's hard not to feel a little bit awkward and to not want to put something in the plate, uh, honestly, just so people can see you put something in the plate, right? So that nobody thinks that you're just shirking uh, your, your Christian responsibility uh, and, and tithing. And uh, what I found and what I think the Bible teaches is that there are three steps on the road uh, to biblical stewardship. And the first step is acknowledgement. The second step is trust. And the third step is joy. And our little Bible passage that's going to guide us through that is, are the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is uh, page 819. Just kidding. It's uh, Matthew 13, beginning with the 44th verse. Well, in stewardship, uh, what we find uh, is that um, the very first principle is acknowledgement, is acknowledging that everything that we have and all that we are belongs to God. Everything that we have and all that we are belongs to God. And there are several little hints that don't get translated into English in the Bible, in Hebrew and in Greek, that give us an idea about that. Uh, one of those is uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, when um, the younger son goes and asks his father for what? What does the younger son ask for? Inheritance, right? right. And actually, the Greek word that is used is bios, which means life. I want your life. <laughs> right? Because in order for him to get the inheritance, what, is, what really has to happen? 
dad has to die. And when they say, when he says life, that, they really meant it. Because remember back in the day, and still in some cases that's here today, that um, your life is is tied up with everything you have. And back then it was the land, right? It wasn't when the son asked that, that the father could go down to Merrill Lynch and say, I need to cash in this and I need to do that or uh, go to the bank. Or, uh, he had to sell off his life. He had to divide up his life, his very livelihood, in order to provide for the son's inheritance. And so the biblical idea is that all of our life comes from God. Everything that we have is God's. Um, and is a gift from God. Psalm 24, the Lord, earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all who dwell therein. Everything belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God when you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them. Then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. America doesn't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Right? If you ask people, how did you get to where you are? People that are successful tend to say what? People who are not successful say what? Right. Something bad. It wasn't me that got me where I am, but someone else. There's a great New Yorker cartoon that has this worn out football player at the end of the game and the reporter with a microphone in his face. And the football player says, well, right, right, out, the, right out of the gate, I first want to th blame God for our loss today. <laughs> and, uh, and it's very funny. We never think of the corollary. Right? We never think of the corollary that, that you know, hard work might get you to success. Uh, but what about people who are not successful, who are not failing. Uh, in fact, what we know is that everything that we have is a gift from God, and where we are is because this is where God has brought us to that place. And so the first step is acknowledging that, that everything that we have and our whole being is the Lord's. The second step is the harder step, and that is trust. Right? You, you can say, okay, God, I understand that it's yours, but, uh, do you know that Jesus talks more about money than he does about prayer? <laughs> Why? Stephen Green did a really great job this morning in the stewardship talk talking about it. there's something about money uh, that, uh, because it's tangible, uh, that has a real hold on us. A lot of people will often misquote and say uh, the, that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And I learned this at a very young age. Remember DuckTales? <laughs> Woo! Uh, DuckTales, the card, actually, even DuckTales understood human nature and that somehow Scrooge and uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and uh, what was the name of the pilot? Ooh, extra points for this one. Launchpad McQuack. Washpad, of course. Launchpad. Launchpad, Launchpad McQuack. Way to go, wow. Tommy. <laughs> Man, we should just stop right now. So Launchpad Mac, they go off to this faraway land that has never, ever encountered money. And, of course, Uncle Scrooge has no idea how to deal with this. And somehow Launchpad has been drinking soda pop, and, as they say in the show, and he has these bottle caps. And all of a sudden, the people are fascinated with the bottle caps, and the bottle caps become the currency. Humans are always looking for ways to manage and barter and to accumulate power. And the way that we do that in our world is we do it through money. We do it through money. When I was out of college, I used to fly a lot in my job. 
And uh, I used to get into this game, once you get to a certain level in mileage, you know, you get to like silver metal, and then you try to get to gold, and then you try to get to platinum, and then they let you fly the plane. And, <laughs> and, it's, and, and I remember every time I would do the trip, I would, I would look and see where I was. And if the miles weren't posted, I would get very distraught. And I, would, I was constantly climbing that ladder. And when I would get to the airport and I would get the priority sitting, I wanted everybody to know that. And if somebody was a little bit in front of me, I often wondered, do they have as many miles as I do? Do they have as many bottle caps as I do? Well, I don't fly as much as I do, but I watch my 529 plan for my kids. It's the same thing. And I am so reticent to pull anything out of any of those accounts because I just want to see them grow and grow and grow. I feel a little bit like Rockefeller did when someone once asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough money? And he said, just a little more. Just a little more. Well, um, there's a reason why it's hard for us to trust. It's in our nature. Uh, but let's, let's look at some tangible things around us. Uh, some little-known facts. Uh, one in five American Christians give nothing to the church. One in five give nothing to the church. Uh, a vast majority gives very little, the average being about $200. A small minority gives most of the money. And higher incomes give no more percentage than lower incomes. This would have been hard to read anyway. In fact, what we find statistically, I'm Mr. Statistics, the poor are the most charitable. The poor are more like, they give about 4.3% of their income to charitable causes. Right? The highest income bracket gives about 2.1%. Right? Remember the story of the widow's might? Right? She has given out of her poverty. She's given everything. We're given out of their abundance. So the poorest actually are the most generous uh, in their giving. Continued, uh, the average given as percentage of income in the 20th century has actually declined. People are giving uh, less the last century than they had in previous century. And honestly, uh, little money is spent abroad. True spending on outreach and mission is about 1% to 2% of, of, total, of total given. And so... Um, Clearly, people are very reluctant to give. They're reluctant to give, and that's because there is a lot of fear. A lot of people don't give because they don't find in their churches a clear mission or purpose. Right? There's nothing for them to get excited about. There's nothing for them to buy into. Uh, you know, If you do go to a church that just says, you need to give, um, I, you know, how excited would you be about giving? It's sort of like, you know, I almost want, you know those guys that stand on the off-ramp at 280? You know, when you go and it says, uh, any little bit will help. I must want to put one of those signs up at a collection plate at the door of the church, any little bit. Like, if that, if that was what happened, what would you think? That's not, you know, it's sort of like it, it, someone's putting the Lord's lean on you. They're twisting their arm. There's also, the again, the bill-paying mentality, right, that um, the whole idea of, um, you know, we gotta, we got to make ends meet. $20 an hour is a pretty good wage. Uh, that uh, if, if you don't give, we don't keep the doors open. Um, how people ask matters. If I said, you know, if you don't give, then this won't happen. Uh, or if I talk about it in terms of obligation uh, or Christian duty, uh, how excited are you about that? Not excited. That, and a lot of people often wonder, what happens to my gift? What, what, what happens after I give? How is it used in the life of the church? Now, um, 
I know, you, all, I worked, I'm not technological at all, and yet I worked so hard on getting these graphics. I, it, this seemed to be the most distressed person I could find online. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's um, yeah, there you go. It's actually Ken Botsford. Um, uh, so, the number one enemy, why so people give, uh, fear, right? Fear, the economy, right? The economy is, uh, it's, it's moving back up, but around 2007, what happened? Everything kind of tanked. Our mileage dropped, right? We went from platinum to silver, or worse. Uh, and so a lot of people worry about the economy. Well, if I give to the church, or increase my giving to the church, to the Lord, then um, then, then I'm worried about my own well-being. And uh, also excessive debt. Um, I have some statistics for that. Um, excessive debt, a lot of people, uh, debt has actually decreased since 2007. <laughs> Uh, so the average credit card debt ha has gone down uh, from 3,000 in 2007 uh, to 2,600. Uh, the cr average credit card balance is down to 7,100 from 7,300. Uh, but I'll tell you what they've caught on to is uh, the average charges of credit cards have gone from uh, 260 in 2007 up to 300. They're coming for us. They're all coming for us, right? Uh, that's because they know that we're conditioned to consume. Right? We are. We live in America. We're conditioned to consume and not save. Uh, some very funny words that have crept into the vocabulary of uh, folks who talk about this are affluenza, right? The insatiable desire to accumulate more stuff, right? and credititis. Buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. And because of that, there's a belief in scarcity, not abundance. Everybody thinks they don't have enough. Everybody thinks they don't have enough or that they're just getting by like Mr. Rockefeller. If I just had a little bit more, then life would be okay. Well, there's a great study that was done by sociologists and psychologists a couple years ago. And they found that there's a 30% rule that most people that they're asked, how much more would it take for you to feel comfortable? And people say about 30%. And you know what they did? They gave the research people, the people, the, the study subjects, they gave them 30% more. And they did that for three years. And then they revisited with them, how do you feel about your income and your, your financial stability? Well, we're, we're doing all right, but you know what? We could, we could use about 30% more and then we'd feel more comfortable, right? right? Because whatever we have is what we end up exhausting. Right? So there's this idea of 30% more, but it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And the idea is more is better. More is better. Now, how do we know this? Because we have what are called public storage units. <laughs> you have apartments for your stuff, right? And they live in a gated community, right? <laughs> you, you go in and, and you visit them and, and you, you go and you visit your stuff and, and there it is, and you know you don't need it. You know you don't need it because it doesn't fit in your house, and yet it's really, and Lauren can tell you, it is impossible for me to let go of stuff. I, I wear T-shirts that she goes, you wore that T-shirt in, in high school. And I said, well, how do you know? She goes, because it has a date on it. And I'm like, I know, but it's broken in. She goes, yeah, it sure is. Uh, well, I, I know how hard it is to get rid of stuff. 
But we have so much stuff in our lives. We get apartments. And then I remember that Jesus said something about, uh, do not store up yourselves uh, things where thieves can break in and steal and moths and rust can corrupt and and destroy. That uh, in the end, uh, nothing uh, is safe. Nothing is safe. And even in our abundance, we think still that we are poor. And then some people just think, well, that's just the way that it is. That this is just the way that it is, and they resign themselves to think that they're in the grind. Again, uh, Daniel Pink writes in his book, A Whole New Mind, while living standards have risen steadily, personal, family, and life satisfaction haven't budged. People, liberated by prosperity but not fulfilled by it, are resolving the paradox by searching for meaning. Now, let's go back to our parables. What we know in the first parable is there's a man, old Joe. Now, we don't know what his net worth is. We have no idea what his net worth is. And he stumbles upon this, this treasure, yeah, there's there's my little my little thing. Look at that. Okay, so um, so he stumbles upon that treasure right there in the field, and he goes and he liquidates all of his assets in order to get the field and purchase it, in order to get the treasure that's in it, because legally that's how you lay claim to it. But we do know that Pete, you see it up here? No. Oh man. Well, that's 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 your problem. Uh, so. Um, but we do know that the pearl merchant is very wealthy because he has all of these pearls. And what does he do with his assets and his inventory? He liquidates them in order to get the one pearl. And what the Greek infers is the man doesn't buy it as a financial investment and say, now I have this and I'm so much more wealthy. He actually buys it and goes with joy and he beholds it. He actually buys the pearl and gives up everything that he has, not so that he can say, now look at how much more wealth I am, but simply that he can behold the treasure that he has and thinks nothing of getting rid of everything else that he has of value in his life. And that's the hard thing, because what what we learn, um, ah, what we learn is that the purpose of tithing, this is from Deuteronomy, is to teach us, this is Deuteronomy 14.20, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now that's the, the Living Bible translation, which suited my purposes. So, and ours too. But that's what it says. Uh, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always to first put God in your lives. And what tithing does is that it makes us trust the Lord because if we really believe that everything that we have comes from the Lord, remember Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Do I not clothe them? Consider the birds of the air. Do I not feed them? Do they not have a nest for themselves? And think of us, how much more God cares for us that he even knows the number of hairs on our head. And so when we get those first fruits and we give the percentage that God has laid on our heart, 10% being sort of the biblical idea of it, I'd point you to Alan Ross's talk several weeks ago, which he did a really great job of saying all that the Bible has to say about tithing. Uh, But knowing that, well, gosh, what God demands of me is everything. And so for me to give 10% uh, is nothing. And knowing that God is taking care of me, and that he's really going to pull me through, and that I, in fact, am wealthy, and wealthy. Do you know that if you have two running spigots in your house, two taps that work, you're in the wealthiest 30% of the world? 
You're in the top 30%. It's pretty remarkable. But forget the world standards. If God, the creator of the universe, is looking out for you and providing for you, that's significant, right? It's not as if you tithe and then God says, ooh, you might not have, shouldn't have done that. You know, you might come up short. And that never actually happens. But that's a big step. That trust, is God who he says he is? Is he the God that provides? Is he the God that sustains? Now, unfortunately, most churches don't do it this way, right? They kind of do twist your arm and put the Lord's lean on you. Um, but uh, several years ago, uh, two young priests in the Diocese of Alabama, one of those being Bill Stahl, came up with something called the Alabama Plan. Right? Doesn't it sound kind of funny? Uh, the Alabama Plan. Uh, well, one of the things that the Alabama Plan did is it changed stewardship away from the idea of membership and it reoriented it toward discipleship. Right? and really put it in its right context, which is the spiritual life of the individual. Uh, a guy named Charles Lane said this about it. The goal of our stewardship ministry is to help God's people grow in their relationship with Jesus through the use of the time, talents, and finances that God has entrusted to them. Right? Time, talent, and treasure. Right? God has given them to you. They belong to God. And so it's our job as the church, like Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for ministry, is to help you put those time, talent, and treasure into practice, into use in the life of the church. And it's about relationship, right? God is not interested in your money. He's interested in you. He's interested in you. And so you're stewards. You're stewards of what God has given you. And so if you acknowledge that God owns everything, you're putting your trust in the Lord Jesus for everything that you need in life, from your waking breath to your dying moment, and you make that transition to joy, because it's not simply a grateful response to what the Lord has done for you, although that's what it is, but it's also you're investing in the kingdom. You're excited about what the Lord is doing. This treasure that you have, you behold it, and you want the world to know what it is all about. And so you are a steward, not an owner. And what a steward does is that it cares for that which belongs to another, a position of authority and responsibility, one of the greatest illustrations of this, and I found a picture of him, is Joseph in Egypt. I don't think that's his real likeness. Uh, but Joseph in Egypt, remember, he was a steward of Pharaoh. Uh, he was sort of the secretary of state, uh, maybe prime minister. It's kind of hard to nail it down. That when famine came to Egypt because of his interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, he was able to store up for those. And because of that, he not only saved Egypt, remember, he saved his brothers and his father and his family. And that which uh, they meant for evil, God worked out for the good. And, of course, lots of uh, gospel stories involving uh, stewards. This is Dave, right? Dave, if you can see, looks like uh, maybe slightly younger Craig Stadler, uh, if you're a golfer. And uh, he owns Dave's Car Care in Glendale, Arizona. And what his business card says for Dave Demon is not president, not CEO, but it says, says Dave Demon, steward. Right. He doesn't see that business as his own. He sees it as the Lord's and that God has given it to him. And he is working on cars and he's AAA certified. And uh, <laughs> whatever he does, he does it unto the Lord as if he's working for the Lord and not for men. And so a steward knows that every good thing is a gift from God. And one gives out of gratitude to God and that giving actually expands your heart. 
Giving actually expands your heart. Uh, Don used a great example the other day uh, in that when he's about to, I'm gonna just, since you said it publicly, I'm gonna use it. Uh, when he's about to go into a meeting with somebody, he prays. And whether that person's a Christian or not, and whether or not that person has changed or not, the meeting has changed because God has entered into the equation and because Don has been changed. Right? Prayer, I'll tell you one of the things, if there's somebody you really don't like, pray for them. And what you find is your heart starts to change toward them. And the same thing happens that when you see God actually working in your life in a trustworthy manner, in a faithful manner, which is his property, uh, your heart begins to grow and you begin to see and act in wonder of the providence of God working in your life and not just providing for you, but seeing what God is doing with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Christy Hind of The Pretenders, it's like Paul Zoll has been beamed back into class, uh, has a great song, uh, Time the Avenger, and she says, nobody is permanent, everything's on loan here. Nobody is permanent, everything's on loan here. Indeed, that's true. We have been given uh, these things as stewards, and God, like the parable of the talents, wants us to put them uh, to use. Now, uh, some statistics as we wrap up. Um, I really wish that y'all could see this because it's actually a very helpful chart. Uh, it actually, um, and we could actually make this available if people really wanted it. Uh, what it does is it breaks down income uh, biweekly. These are sort of helpful hints. And what you find is that really, uh, so let's say that you make, um, let's just say $100 a week because that's easy. $100 a week. Even if you were to start at well, let's start in the middle. Let's do $500 a week. Ready? So $500 a week. Uh, even if you were to say, okay, God, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the fleece out. I'm going to give 5%, which is much more than most people give. Let's just say that. You, you're going to give 5%. So 5%, if you make $500 a week, at uh, your tithe would be $25 a week. $25 a week. Jim. Are you going to ask the pre-tax, post-tax question? I'm just kidding. That's not a tie. That's not a tie. That's, that's right. That's right. But what I'm just saying is, is middle-range giving. Okay, so middle-range, I should change. I'll say middle-range giving. So let's say that you decide that you're going to give 5%. That's $25 a week. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but for some, for some reason, again, it's really hard for our hearts to let go. So $25 doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, for some people, it is. And, but I'll tell you, for us, um, I have a hard time, you know, giving to certain causes, uh, but I have no problem going to hot and hot and dropping a ton of cash, right? And that seems a lot easier for me to do than actually supporting those things. So again, um, my belly is my God. So uh, 25, but let's say, let's say, you know what, God, you really are moving in my life and uh, I'm going to up it just by, by a percentage point. You're going to give 6%. That's, that's only five more dollars. That's only, 30. you know what, God, you're really, you know, it's only actually 20, uh, it's uh, finally giving, it, it's, that would only be $50 a week. You know, if you even bumped it up a percentage point uh, along the way, that would be only an increase of $5 over the weeks if you went incrementally. Five, so that would be 50. So it's really, you know, worldly speaking, it's funny because it's really not as much as you think. It's really not as much as you think. And at this point, if you're not tithing 10%, uh, I, would, uh, I would say put out the fleece, right? Commit to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, everything, if you've made those steps, 
Uh, I acknowledge that everything I have comes from you, and uh, I'm putting my trust in you. And uh, like, uh, what about Bob? Baby steps. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And God is patient. God is patient. And if you are giving the tithe, um, you know, uh, the tithe, again, is um, it's not sort of like I've, I've paid my taxes. I've got my 10% out of the way. But God is actually calling us for everything. What is God calling you to do uh, in the life uh, of his church? Oh, so, yeah. so uh, one of the things that we do here at the Advent is um, rather than... Um, Rather than um, get up and tell you, give, 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 here's why you ought to give, here's what you ought to do to give, um, what we do is we have like Stephen Green this morning, is we get up and we tell people uh, this uh, is what God is doing in the life of the Advent. This is why we give, because of what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in the life of the church. And so what we talk to you about is not so much money as what God is doing what God is doing. Because what happens is when people give to the church, when they tithe, when they give anything, even a small amount in the plate, uh, that money uh, goes to ministry. That money becomes changed lives for Jesus. And even in small, teeny, tiny ways. And the Advent could do a better job of talking to you and sharing with you about what it is that we do from uh, feeding uh, homeless, having worship services for homeless, uh, to supporting missionaries abroad, to the things that we do uh, here at home. Um, it's, and, you know, one of the funniest things, uh, I don't know why I should say it's funny, but it is funny. One of the funny things that I do is I do a Monday night Bible study for people in their 20s. And when I started out, it was mostly couples that, whose average age was about 27, 28. And now everybody's single and the average age is about 24. And uh, so if you have any single sons, send them. Um, it's a good place to be for them. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and what we do is we have a Bible study, and uh, we get a pretty good crowd, uh, you know, upwards of three dozen or so, and uh, mostly women. And, uh, and then afterwards, uh, even though they dread it, uh, sometimes we'll, I'll say, well, why don't we go hang out, and we'll go to DRAM or someplace like that. And, um, and every once in a while, I'll pick up the tab. But uh, the funny thing about it is a lot of people will, after the study, be like, who are you? You know, where are you from? And... Uh, and little I know, because of you, like they're hearing the gospel for the very first time. Right? They'll come up to me and they'll say, I've never heard that before. And they may have sat in a pew their whole life. But because of your investment uh, in the kingdom of God, because of giving back to God what is already his, uh, people are hearing about Jesus and their lives are being changed. And they may just meet your future in-law uh, at, at my Bible study. Um, and so stewardship is, again, it's... It's about acknowledging uh, God and his ownership over everything. It's putting uh, your trust in him, and it's experiencing the joy of his work uh, in your life. And it's not uh, about membership. It's about discipleship, that this is actually a component of your spiritual uh, lives in the same way that Bible study would be or your prayer life would be. Uh, and yet this is one of those dark, unevangelized continents of our hearts that we don't like the gospel to go uh, because uh, we feel like it's ours. Uh, and yet I hope that you'll join me in praying, and not just in October, um, but really year-round that um, every time we look at our statements, uh, you don't treat it like I do, the medallion miles, uh, but you look at it and you say, uh, 
All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have I given thee. Questions, comments, concerns? Andrew, yes. Just, um, two quick comments. One, the stewardship process, as many people know, is purposeful to be in October because the budgeting process That's right. happens in November. Mm-hmm. And so stewardship drives the budget. That's so right. It's a direct correlation. And then two, along with Rockefeller, comment eerily, I heard this in a similar setting on Friday, that Larry Ellison that runs Oracle, mm-hmm. and they just had the Forbes list, the wealthiest men, and his uh, yacht just won the America's Cup and all this. They said, what drives you? And he said, my uh, sole goal in life is to be the richest man in the world, which mm-hmm. means he wants to catch Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. And all you think about is this guy who's had incredible worldly success, and he's tormented by the fact that he's not right. on top of the yeah, I think about Richard Branson of Virgin yeah. Atlantic, yeah. and and his whole life is well. Then what? Yeah. Right. I mean, so much so that the man can't get a life insurance policy. They're like, you are crazy. Like his new thing is, I'm going to fly you to outer space. Go see Gravity. I saw it at the IMAX last week. See if you want to go to outer space. <laughs> that that he is going to sue George Clooney. I mean, I mean that movie is going to undo anybody ever wanting to go to space ever in their lives. Now, one of the things the Alabama plan does and the Advent does this is that we don't do the budget and then say, here's our budget, here's how much we need to make. We say, this is the budget that the Lord has laid on our heart, and and we're going to go in faith and pray that he provides because he always does. So so it's not a fundraising goal. You're right. We 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 have a budget in place and then our tithes come in and then we make it we make it work. Done. Just a couple of comments um, that uh, everybody here knows that the, the primary responsibility in the canons of the vestry uh, in the Episcopal Church is finance. That's just that's that's really you get down to it, Bill, and that, that's really the only responsibility the vestry has. Mm-hmm. I think that is. Uh-huh. Um, sees what anybody gives or anything like that, but I thought I would give you and share with you that's been shared just a couple of things. Um, Jim uh, Cooper made a great point that you know the, the 5% that you use it for example purposes, if this, I suspect, well, we don't know what everybody makes, but I suspect that if um, the membership of the Advent, actually just the people who give at the Advent, if we gave 5%, our budget would be double. It would be double. And all the statistics show that. If, if, the, if the people, just the people who give, not the people who don't give, just the people who currently pledge, if they went to 5%, our budget would probably double what it currently is. Um, and that's just a fact uh, or, a, or a statistic. Uh, and I was listening to this. I, I, I thought about, again, and I just heard it two years ago, but how wise Luther was when he said that there are three conversions for the Christian. Mm. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Mm. Because what you're really talking about is us holding on to that last piece and mm. being chief among all people, mm-hmm. uh, holding on to that last piece that says, okay, I trust with everything but this, you know, mm-hmm. but i got to hold this back. You know. Can I say something? Absolutely. I haven't run it by, so he might, you know, go a bit Hadn't stopped you so far. One thing that helped me when I was a younger giver, we were living in Washington, D.C., and I went from paying like $150 a month in Athens, Georgia, to $800 a month, and I wasn't making any money. And so, you know, I was going to this wonderful church, the Falls Church, and I wanted to give 10%, but I was eating oatmeal for dinner. I mean, I just didn't have any money. And one day, John Yates or whoever was doing the stewardship said, okay, if you're giving 3%, 
you know, next year try to give four, and then five, and then you're at 10% in a very short period of time. And so I think people honestly want to give, and sometimes maybe that five to 10 feels like a lot. I mean, it did to me, and I, I know I probably should have been But once you're there, you get perspective. Yeah, I mean, so if you just want to, like, prayerfully give one more percent this year, and then one after that, and commit a five-year plan, I mean, that helped me practically, um, but... It's different for everybody. And I want to say one thing. That happened in our lives, and I have I checked it out with her, but I'm pretty sure it's okay. <laughs> we, we went through this Alabama plan in 1986. I was a stewardship I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know anything about it. And we came home and talked about it, prayed about it. And we said, okay, we're going to trust and do a little bit because we couldn't go from where we were to 10%. A little bit this year, a little bit this year. We hoped that maybe we can get there in a large number of years. And our story was that it happened very fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it wouldn't have ever happened if we had the trust that just a tiny little more percent that mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Mm. Else, um, I'm sorry, Alice, you had your hand up, didn't you? Okay. All right, Jim, go ahead. Just the freedom uh, you have from, from giving. Um, when we started giving years ago, it, it really uh, gave me tremendous freedom. I mean, it's just, it, it puts you in a different, you view life totally different. Mm-hmm. Everything different. Right. Really, really different. So if you can trust Financially, when you wake up one day and the doctor, you know, a serious issue with a child, it's that same faith, you know, right. it, it, it telegraphs to every area of your life. And it really, uh, it's just a different world. Absolutely. It's a different world. And uh, so if you're not tithing, uh, you're really missing out. Absolutely. You, That's you, a good thing. Not, we got a chance to all ride in first class, and we're riding in cargo. Yeah. I think I used an illustration in, um, gosh, what was the guy's name? He was a, um, he was a Scot and uh, went on to great wealth in America. It wasn't Carnegie, but he took, he saved up all of his money and took uh, the steamship over to uh, New York. And uh, he was, he was very tight and was worried about expenses. So before he went, he stored up as much uh, bread and cheese and uh, cured meat as he could on the. But as the the journey went on, the bowl, you know, things started to get moldy and and spoil. And so, with what little he had in his pocket, he went up to the dining room, and uh, and you know was thinking about his budget and asked the steward, you know, how um, how much will a meal cost me? And the steward looked at him and said, "You've already paid for it. It was in the price of your ticket." Uh, and a lot of people are skating by on moldy bread and cheese when God has an incredible banquet that has been paid for by him. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for blessing us uh, with all that we have. And Lord, indeed, uh, that our hearts would turn toward you and put their trust in you, um, the author and perfecter of our salvation, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.